Good morning and welcome to Sunday service at Ananda Village in our beautiful Yogananda Amphitheater near the Expanding Light. I'd like to welcome everyone. First of all, I should say my name is Tiagi Latika and I'm, it's my joy to be here with you this morning along with Tiagi Atman. And we're happy to share Sunday service. I'd like to welcome those who've been here at the Expanding Light in our Meditation Teacher Training Program, those who are here for the weekend for our Discover Your Own Happiness Retreat, and finally, those who are here celebrating our 47th anniversary, 48th anniversary of Ananda Village, and we're here for the Ananda History Weekend, which continues through July 4th. And now I'd like to read to you from Rays of the One Light. These are commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. This week's topic is Abiding in God. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogananda often emphasized more often to his disciples than to the general public, but also to everyone generally, for it was a universal teaching, the importance of attunement. For divine understanding cannot be created. It must be perceived. To the disciples, Yogananda spoke of the importance of attunement with the Guru. To others, he urged the importance at least of attuning oneself to higher consciousness. Can an eagle rise without support from the sustaining air? Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. How can we abide in him? Jesus says, If my words abide in you. By words, he meant not only his spoken words, but his vibrations, his consciousness, of which the words are only an expression. We must abide by the teachings, but we must also absorb those teachings into ourselves, that they become our own experience. For disciples of this path, the more in their hearts they live consciously in the presence of the masters, the more they will find the divine presence living within them. And for all truth seekers, whether disciples or not, the more they live sustained inwardly by the awareness of God's presence, the higher they will find themselves soaring in wisdom and joy. For the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, I am the source of everything. From me all creation emerges. Blessed with this realization, the wise, awe-stricken, adore me. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. 
souls i'd like to add my welcome to all of you on this wonderful weekend where we celebrate freedom and here we're celebrating the only true freedom the freedom in god freedom within i'd like to start with a reading a poem by yogananda which is very apropos for our topic of attunement this is when i am only a dream i come to tell you all of him and the way to encase him in your bosom and of the discipline that brings his grace. Those of you who have asked me to guide you to my beloved's presence, I warn you through my silently talking mind, or speak to you through a gentle, significant glance, or whisper to you through my love, or loudly dissuade you when you stray away from him. But when I shall become only a memory, or a mental image, or silently speaking voice, when no earthly call will ever reveal my whereabouts in unplumbed space, when no shallow entreaty or stern stentorian command will bring from me an answer. I will smile on your mind when you are right, and when you are wrong I will weep through my eyes, dimly peering at you in the dark, and weep through your eyes perchance. And I will whisper you to you through your conscience, and I will reason with you through your reason, and I will love all through your love. When you are able no longer to talk with me, read my whispers from eternity. Eternally through it I will talk to you. Unknown I will walk by your side and guard you with invisible arms. And as soon as you know my beloved and hear his voice in silence, you will know me again more tangibly than you knew me on this earth plane. And yet, when I am only a dream to you, I will come to remind you that you too are not but a dream of my heavenly beloved. And when you know you are a dream as I know now, we will be ever awake in him. So this uh, subject this morning of attunement is one that's extremely important on the spiritual path. And the basic message of this reading is, like a lot of readings that we've had, is you can't do it alone. It's not something that you can just set out and pull yourself up by your hair and suddenly you're into God realization. We need some help. And the gurus and the masters and our teachers talk a lot about attunement and the need for attunement. And attunement is not as easy a concept to grasp, perhaps, as some of the concepts that are more taught as techniques. You can put it on a sheet of paper. You can follow one, two, three. We know how to do Hung Sa. We know energization. We memorize all the 35 steps. Attunement's a little bit harder to grasp, and I think for that reason, some people sort of give it a miss and say, oh, attunement, I don't know, I can't really deal with that. But attunement is actually something very fundamental to human existence, and we've all had experiences of attunement, although we don't necessarily call it that. And if you think of ourselves, we're just these bundles of energies and desires and self-definitions and these little whirling vortices that have energy coming in and going out and we attune to those energies and when we first came into the world what did we attune to 
We attune to our families. Now, of course, when you're a baby or when you're a child, you don't realize that's not reality that is of, of everyone. But as soon as you leave your family and you go out in the world, you realize, oh, not everyone thinks that way, or not everyone does it the way I do it, or the way my family did it. That's because you're attuned to that small little nucleus of the family, and then you attune to a culture. You're out into a larger milieu that affects you as well, that affects the way you act, the way you think, how your thoughts come, what you do. And it's it's not something that's strange, it just happens. And you don't probably realize it necessarily until you go to another culture, perhaps, that that culture isn't the only culture. And I remember once I was, uh, many years ago, I had the good fortune of spending a year in France, and I was learning the language, and I wanted to attune to all good things French, like, you know, croissants and pain chocolat and all this wonderful food. And, of course, to do that, you have to... You go and you buy this every day. You go into these stores. And so I would used to American supermarkets, but in France, it's not like that. They bake things every day, and you go in there, and there's someone behind the counter. And when you go in, they go, bonjour, monsieur. And I looked around and said, uh... She doesn't know me. I don't know her. Why is she saying hello to me? And so I get my croissant and I leave. And and then she looks rather dismayed because I realized later that I'm supposed to say, you know, au revoir, madame. You know, and it's this interaction that's supposed to happen. And it seemed really weird. And but, you know, of course, I kept going back every morning to get my croissants. And Gradually, I attuned myself to what was going on here, and pretty soon, it became very normal to go, Bonjour, madame, bonjour, monsieur, au revoir, au revoir, grâce, merci, merci. You know, it's just, there's this whole thing happening there, and it became completely normal. I was attuned to it. And then I came back to the United States, and I started saying, hello, and, oh, and no, no, no. <laughs> you weren't attuned to that anymore. <laughs> But it's it's not something that that's strange. It's not something that's it's uh, lost on the sort of self-help industry these days about attunement. People talk about it a lot. They don't necessarily use that term, but they talk about if you want to be successful, be with successful people. If you want to be a stockbroker, hang out with stockbrokers. If you want to be competitive, be with competitive people. If you want to have success, get a mentor or be on a team that creates an attunement to the goal of what you're trying to do. It puts your mind, it puts your consciousness in a certain place. So if we think of it in that way, attunement really isn't a strange concept or a foreign one. But yoga takes it another step, another very important step, and that's to say, okay, what we're really talking about here is consciousness. And the nature of the world is this, the nature of the universe, the nature of creation is just this vast, ocean of consciousness, of waves, of feelings, of thoughts, of all this, everything in manifestation is just out there. And as it says in the readings, we're not creating things, we're just perceiving them. There's a teaching of Yogananda in the, in the autobiography, one of the most profound statements is, he says, thoughts are not individually rooted, but universally rooted. So we're not having thoughts, we're just attuning ourselves to the thoughts that are already there. In the poem Samadhi, he talks about as you reach that all-knowing stage of oneness, you tune into thoughts of all men, past, 
present to come. They're all there. It's all there, all that consciousness. And what we need to do is to decide, okay, what do we want to tune into? As it says in the readings, we're trying to, we're here because we're dissatisfied with life. We've gotten ourselves onto a spiritual path. We're spiritual seekers, and we're trying to attune ourselves to a higher consciousness. We're trying to get past what's been created by our past lives, by our families, by our cultures, these vortices of feeling of self-identification, of likes and dislikes. We've got that, and it's all happening. We're attuned to it, but we're not satisfied because we're not happy. We're not joyful. There's more. And so we need to attune ourselves to something higher, higher consciousness. And I want to talk about a little bit how we do that. And it's apt to think of the tuning and tuning a radio. That attunement, when people think of tuning, they think often of turning a radio dial and tuning in. And well, what happens in a radio receiver or some kind of a receiver? There's an antenna, something that's out there receiving these subtle vibrations of electrons bouncing back and forth. And then there's something from the antenna that amplifies those vibrations to be able to sort them out. And then there's a tuner of some sort which says, okay, we want this station and we want to separate that from everything else. And then there's some electronics in there that transform that wave into something that's useful. It's either a sound that transforms it back into sound or in television, comes back to a picture or a cell phone, a conversation. And this is a, actually an interesting metaphor an analogy for us to look at as us, as a tuning and being receivers. Because in essence, yoga is the science of transforming our mind-body-selves beings into receivers for higher consciousness. That's really what we're doing with the techniques of yoga. We're transforming ourselves into receivers of higher consciousness. And to start with, we need to have some kind of antenna. We need to be able to know there's something out there and pick it up. So you have to get past all these self-defined definitions. You have to say, okay, I'm going to put up an antenna. I'm going to look for something more. I'm going to try to receive something that's out there. And how do we do that? We do it by calming down all that static that's out there right now, keeping us defined in this little vortices. And we do that through meditation. We do it through stilling the body, relaxing, yoga postures. We do it through many, many of the techniques of yoga. We start listening. Then that antenna, once we've gotten enough static out of the way that we can hear something, we need some energy in there. We need that amplifier. Remember, you have to you have to tune into something, and there has to be that concentration, that focus, that bringing energy to one point to be able to get that signal, that consciousness is coming. Because it's not enough to just be sensitive. You can think of many people, unfortunately, who have various stages of mental illness or delusion or psychoses that are very, very receptive and open people but they're receiving things that they can't necessarily control. There's a schizophrenia, there's other entities coming in, there's people who perhaps are on the, 
autism spectrum or something, they're just bombarded with this, all these things coming in, they're tuning in, but they don't have the focus or the energy to be able to discern and discriminate what it is they're trying to tune into. So we need that energy and that focus. And then, of course, we need the tuner. The tuner is of utmost importance. And in a radio, it's finding that place on the dial where you can say, that's the program I want. And to do that, we again need to refine our bodies, refine our the way we interact with the world. We also need to know what we're trying to tune into. We're trying to tune in to this higher consciousness because there's a lot of stations out there. You can be doing great at receiving them. You can be really focused, but you can get the wrong station. So you need to remember, okay, I'm going for higher consciousness. What does that look like? And that's where the teachings of yoga come in. It's very important to know where we're trying to go, where the saints have been, what we're trying to do with our lives, what is uplifting and what's not. Because that, the, that energy, those, those waves of energy can be very powerful, and people can tune into them and not necessarily have much discrimination or to know what it is they're getting. And one example that came to my mind that was just really, really striking in this sense of, uh, you know, waves of consciousness and even in the mass, mass consciousness, back at the time of independence in India, 1948, there was the British partitioned India against some desires of some and because of the lobbying mainly of the the Muslim Congress. But they split Pakistan and India, drew these lines, and it was a incredibly difficult time in India because there was all these mass migrations that started happening of people moving from the what was became Hindu India, trying to move to the Muslim section, and those from the Muslim section who were Hindus trying to move into Hindu India. And in the in the Punjab, there was a consciousness that took over that was just of extreme violence and hate. And people started killing each other, people who had lived together for a long time, people who had been neighbors for, for millennia, people who had coexisted. But this wave of consciousness came in, and people started attuning to that, and it got stronger, and it just got amplified, and it was it took over, and it was there was mass slaughter, and it was a disaster. On the east side, Gandhi decided he was going to go to Calcutta, because Calcutta was in the middle of Bengal. Bengal had a mixed population, especially in Calcutta, and he put himself in the middle of Calcutta, and he said, I am going to, we are going to hold peace here and he started putting out that vibration he started putting out that consciousness and he got people coming along with him he started fasting he said i am going to fast to death in unless in unless you people maintain peace if there's violence there was some violence and he started fasting and he said i'm going to stop this violence with this and that vibration that consciousness it wasn't perfect, but what happened in Bengal was very, very different than what happened in the Punjab. And by and large, he was able to hold that peace by putting out those waves of a consciousness and getting people to strengthen it, getting people to attune to that. So it's these, these things exist. They're real, and we have to decide where are we going to attune ourselves. So we, of course, want to attune ourselves to higher consciousness. So... We 
read the lives of saints, we start thinking what that is, we practice yoga, we start surfing the channels of the networks of higher consciousness. And pretty soon we're out there switching channels and we're moving around. And it's, an, it's a very valid and important thing to do because we have to find what resonates with us. There's another part of the radio that's in that tuning, and that's the, the radio is set for certain resonant frequencies. It can't tune into everything. Like one receiver can't get cell phones and televisions and FM radio and AM radio. There's, there's something that receiver's tuner is set to. There's resonant frequencies. And we need to set our resonant frequencies. We need to say, okay, what is it so that when that vibration comes in that I'm trying to attune to, do I know it? Is there a resonance with it? I can amplify it in myself. I can make that bigger. And that's where the, it's very important to start looking at spiritual teachings, to start reading, to start spending time with other devotees, to start tuning into you know, what does this spiritual path look like? Not so that you can memorize it, so that you can give an intellectual discourse, but so you can set your resonant frequencies. So when you start perceiving that consciousness, those truths, you're tuned in. Yes, those are the channels that I want. And at some point, you, we decide, or it's recommended, to make advancement on the spiritual path. The best thing is to try to focus on a channel and lock your receiver into that channel. Now, again, surfing the networks of higher consciousness is a good thing. It's a whole lot better than surfing the networks of lower consciousness, which is what the most of the world is doing. And most of the world is reinforcing themselves and setting up this huge resonant frequency on those lower vibration channels. And so you want to stay away from those at all costs. But even on the higher, the networks of higher consciousness, at some point it's important and it's valid and it's the best way to make progress to tune into one. And in this reading, Yogananda, many people have talked about tune into the guru. Find a guru, or the guru finds you when you're ready, and tune into that vibration. Tune into a sat guru, a realized soul, one who is completely at home on all channels and all frequencies, and has created this tremendous transmitter, this very, very powerful transmitter of the consciousness of higher of higher consciousness, the consciousness of God realization. And I always like to think of it as, you know, we're in this fog of delusion and we're down here in our little vortices, our little selves, and we're trying to tune in and there's this interference and there's this fog and and all of a sudden there's this huge ray of light which is just like blowing away all the fog, creating an open channel, this transmission of a tremendous energy which is coming down and that is a whole lot easier to tune into and to get a resonance going with than some of the lesser channels so why not go for the strong transmitter go for the strong channel go for the sat gurus and those are the ones that have can show us the way who can give us the power as it says in the readings to transform these our consciousness we're not going to do it on our own we're not going to do it with just yoga practices unless we can draw that higher consciousness that energy that's coming from out there so how does one do this again this gets a little more complicated we're 
comfortable with attunement now. We know we can attune to things, but how do you attune to a, a guru who may not be in the body, who you never really knew, who's not with us, who's not telling you what to do? Well, that's what this path is about. And that's what about what Swami Kriyananda's life was about. So for us here at Ananda, who have chosen the transmitter of Yogananda to tune into, our guide in setting up those resonant frequencies was, of course, Swami Kriyananda. And in his teachings, in his life, in his 65 years of life uh, after he met Yogananda, so from the age of 22 until his death, his total focus was on tuning into Yogananda. He said his highest prayer was always, Master Yogananda, make your thoughts my thoughts. Guide me. No, tell me what I should do. Show me the way. And it wasn't something that was in the background. It was part and parcel. It was hardwired into his, <laughs> into his tuner. And you could see that, and that came out in everything he did. He was... It was always just behind there. He'd talk, and Master was just behind there. He'd do a piece of music, and he'd tell us how he did it. And he said, I'd reach up for inspiration. I wrote a book. I would bring that inspiration down. He wrote the Bhagavad Gita, that, that hundreds of pages of commentary, which was based on Master's teachings, but he didn't have the transcript. He did that in a matter of weeks, five, four, five, six weeks. He brought that whole thing down. How could you possibly do that? The only way is he had a pretty clear open channel with no static where that was coming right down and he was writing it down. So tuning into his life, a life of discipleship, a life of conversation with master, a, a life of tuning in, that's what we need to do. And it doesn't mean we're going to do the same things that he did. If you remember, there's that other part in the radio, that radio, that's the part that takes that resonant frequency, but then transforms it into something useful, into back into sound or to television. Well, in our cases, it's coming through us and transforming that into something that we resonate with, that works for us. And for Kriyananda, it was music, it was teaching, it was photography, it was founding communities. What is it for us? It may be cooking, it may be working in the garden, it may be working in communications. It's still our transformative part of ourselves that takes that energy and puts it somewhere and amplifies that resonant frequency. It's really important to do what works for our being and what can tune into where that inspiration is coming from and transform that. So now, for some people, this might be easy. Once you get on the spiritual path, you've committed yourself to a guru, discipleship. For some people, maybe it's second nature. For a lot of us, it's not. And we have to recognize that it takes a lot of willpower to do this, and it's not necessarily going to be easy. And that it's quite normal to have the thoughts like, okay, I'm here, I'm trying to connect with my guru, I'm talking to him, and shoom, there goes my mind over there. Okay, I'm talking to my guru. No, I just forgot about my guru for the last three days, and I haven't talked to him at all. And, you know, keeping focused on that channel is not an easy thing. It takes a lot of practice, and it takes, just like Hong Sa, bringing it back, bring it back, bring it back. Okay, then 
you're there, you're conversing with your guru, you're asking for his guidance, you're looking to receive his thoughts. And then there's another part of your mind which has been attuned to something else through incarnations or the rational material world or whatever it is that starts going, okay, you're having a conversation with this guy that hasn't been in the body for 65 years, and how do you know it's not your subconscious just making this up? How do you know it's really you conversing with a guru? And how can you trust that guidance because it's really your subconscious mind? And, you know, you think you feel joy, but how do you know it's just not your, you know, your serotonin levels and your endorphins in your brain are being <laughs> released, and it's just your emotional fervor, and you're not really feeling anything mystical? Or Okay, stop. <laughs> That's normal. It happens. And there's a number of things that we can do about it, and it takes some focus, it takes some practice, it takes willpower. And willpower, Yogananda defined as energy plus feeling directed toward fulfillment. So you need that energy that we've got through our yoga practices. We have our focus, we have our concentration. But you also have to cultivate that feeling this is where that doubt comes in, where it gets dry, is if you don't open that connection, you don't have that devotional feeling, you don't f tune into the joy, to the love that really is there, whether it's through other guru bhais, whether it's through satsang, whether it's just feeling that upliftment. You have to cultivate that because that's an important part of willpower. The will can only go so far in energy. It's going to fade unless you can keep that, devotional part of it, keep that feeling part of it coming. So that's one thing. Another thing that's important that's worked for me in my times of doubt is you just go, okay, what's the alternative? Am I happy where I am? No. So let's try something different. And shut up for a while, the doubting mind. We're going to try something different. We're going to suspend disbelief and we're going to just go with this because it looks like there's a lot of people who I've known, who I've read about, that this works for. So I'm going to try it, because where I am right now isn't working. That's one thing. Realize that it's going to take some time, as I mentioned. Also, look ahead. Look at those ahead of you on the path. Look at those who you get inspiration from. That's why so community, spiritual satsang is so important. When you're trying to do this and you're having your own doubts, there are a lot of people who may be around you who have overcome those doubts or who aren't manifesting those doubts as strongly as you are right now. Look at the example of Kriyananda. Look at the example of the saints. Tune into their lives. Read that. Take that as an inspiration to say, yes, there is truth here. When you listen to Kriyananda, there's no doubt. He said he had all the doubts one could possibly have in all his past lives, and for that reason he was so compassionate and such a good teacher in this lifetime. But tune into that. Listen to his talks. There is no doubt. There is no niggling voice back there about whether he's in contact with his guru and his master. It's possible. The examples are out there. Tune into those. And lastly, each of us has had some inspiration or will have received some inspiration through attuning ourselves to that guru, to the channel of the guru. It may come in a flash of insight, it may come in a feeling of oneness, it just may be a growing feeling of joy. Tune into those and hold them as sacred. Those are just as much or more, they are more, closer to reality 
than your rational materialistic doubting mind. And you have to nurture those. You have to hold on to those. So they may not happen as often as you'd like, but they happen. They happen to all of us. And you have to hold those and you have to nurture those. And that'll allow you to continue to tune into that channel of the guru, to draw that consciousness that we want, to lift ourselves up with the practices of yoga, with our self-effort, with our willpower, but by drawing on that grace of the guru. And I'd like to finish by reading the poem once again, because for me, this poem has always been such a heartfelt promise of the guru. And it looks like I've lost the place here. When I am only a dream, I come to tell you all of him and the way to encase him in your bosom and of the discipline that brings his grace. Those of you who have asked me to guide you to my beloved's presence, I warn you through my silently talking mind or speak to you through a gentle, significant glance or whisper to you through my love or loudly dissuade you when you stray away from him. But when I shall become only a memory or a mental image or silently speaking voice, when no earthly call will ever reveal my whereabouts in unplumbed space, when no shallow entreaty or stern stentorian command will bring from me an answer, I will smile in your mind when you are right, and when you are wrong, I will weep through my eyes, dimly peering at you in the dark, and weep through your eyes, perchance. And I will whisper to you through your conscience, and I will reason with you through your reason, and I will love all through your love. When you labor no longer to talk with me, read my whispers from eternity. Eternally through it I will talk to you. Unknown, I will walk by your side and guard you with invisible arms. As soon as you know my beloved and hear his voice in silence, you will know me again more tangibly than you knew me on this earth plane. And yet, when I am only a dream to you, I will come to remind you that you too are not but a dream of my heavenly beloved. And when you know you are a dream, as I know now, we will be ever awake in him.